Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, and now an online store. Check out their new e-commerce solution so you can start selling stuff immediately. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, just head over to squarespace.com slash twip and use the offer code twip5. This week on Twip, 100 groundbreaking cameras in the history of photography, new UK legislation that provides unlimited access to orphaned works, an interview with Craft and Vision's Corwin Hebert on the business of ebook publishing, plus our listener Q&A and Picks of the Week. It's Wednesday, May 1st, 2013, and this is Twip. And welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today on the show, we're going to be diving into 100 groundbreaking cameras in the history of photography, some new UK legislation that provides unlimited access to orphaned works. And we're going to talk about what orphaned works means because it's kind of a fuzzy, kind of a fuzzy term there. We're going to dive deep um, or maybe shallow into post-processing workflows. <laughs> between our co-hosts here and also there's an interview with Corwin Hebert of Craft and Vision he's uh, one of the masterminds behind that empire that Mr. David Dushman has built plus a little bit of listener Q&A and our picks of the week and joining me to discuss all this stuff and more are Mr. Martin Bailey, Doug Kay and Derek Story. Hey guys. Hello. Hey. All right, welcome. Let's start. Let's go uh Left to right or right to left, depending on what side, what side of the screen you're on. Derek, let's start with you. <laughs> Welcome back. Haven't seen you in a while. What have you been up to? What's going on in the digital story world? Uh, well, I just finished a workshop last weekend, which is always a blast, the first one of the season. And, in fact, Frederick, I even had a, a couple people say, well, isn't Frederick going to come? Oh, really? <laughs> yes, yes, because you had talked about it. I know. It was, it was so cool. cute. Aww. So cute. Aww. Aww. And, uh, but. But the uh, the real thing is uh, the new book came out. Uh, oh. My new book came out. Yeah. So wait, is this so, a pr- is this a physical yeah. book? This is a printed yeah, book. A, look at this. Oh this wow. Pa- yeah, paper pages. That's interesting because yeah. in the interview insert for this episode, Corin Hebert and I just talked about actually about thirty minutes ago as as the chronological time flows. Uh-huh. Um, he and I just talked about digital publishing versus printed publishing. He has some really positive things to say about you know, the printed publishing world versus digital publishing, even though he's squarely planted in the digital world. Well, we, we did everything for this, right? It's iBooks, it's Kindle, it's uh, uh, printed. So I've looked at all the things. But, you know, the, in, we won't go too long. Maybe talk about it later. But, the, you know, the thing about it is the thing about print is you still get to lock in that layout. You get to lock in that design. There's, there's no surprises. Yeah. Uh, but, Derek, I hate to break it to you. There's this thing called PDF. That you can do that. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm just saying. I don't know. I, I, heard yeah. of it. How many of your books have showed up on Kindle or iBooks? And uh, you can say what you want, but there are surprises there, buddy. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Absolutely. What's the name of your book again? Before we move on, it's iPad for digital photographers. Now it's, it's, a, it's a nimble photographer book. You've been threatening to do that whole mobile photography thing for a while. So I, you finally this is I it. I did it. 
I did awesome. it. This is it. And it's yes. out now? You, people can it's buy it? It's out now. You can buy it right now. Awesome. All right. I'll buy it right after the yes. show. Perfect. Yes. All right. Moving down the line there, Mr. Doug K is also on the show. Hey, Doug. What's going hey, on? Hey, Frederick. Uh, well, let's see. I've, it's been a whole week since I've seen you. Uh, <laughs> it's actually been quiet. I've been. You I've look been a little teaching. older now. I don't know. Like a week. Don't, it's been a week. Don't go there. Don't go there. <laughs> it's the white uh, balance. I'm Maybe not that far not. behind you, my friend. Yeah, that's right. I need to warm like, up the life there a bit, Doug. I like Derek's idea. That's excellent. <laughs> uh, I've been, uh, actually, just in the last week, I've been doing more Photoshop teaching. And uh, getting ready for a couple of trips coming up, including a trip to Turkey in June. Oh, is that just for you, or is that that, that for is a client? that is a non photography? That's a social family wife vacation with wife trip. And you're not bringing any cameras with you, then? No, that's not true. You know that. <laughs> but it but it has been it has been an excuse to uh, investigate uh, a lot more gear. I'm going to go small. I'm going to take the uh, Sony NEX7 and a bunch of lenses and. Uh, and a little bag, and that's it. No, no big glass, no big. I'm, I'm on. The, I'm in the same train as people know that listen to the show. Um, oh well, first of all, Martin. Before we get to the stuff, I want to jump over to Martin. So, Martin, what's what's new with you? And then we're going to jump into this this discussion that I want to have. <laughs> what's yeah, going on uh, in Japan right now? Oh, uh, not a lot really. We're uh, well, actually, we're in the Golden Week holiday, so oh. we. Uh, it's like one of the only ways that the Japanese government can get these people to to take a a holiday is to throw a load of public holidays into one week mm-hmm. um so yeah we're we're in that at the moment but of course that means nothing to me i've been working doing all of my stuff i i'm in the middle of a, a website update but i'm also um i've just finished my second craft and vision ebook which is uh well i've finished the first i finished the the completed draft and then they told me what i need to fix later excellent um but um, how long yeah, that- how long is that how many pages is that um, the text with small embedded images, it's like 44 pages. Nice. Um, but by the time it goes, it gets laid out and everything, it might be a little bit longer, um, maybe a little bit shorter. Uh, but it's it's about 44 pages at the moment. Nice. Um, and the uh, I'm also, I'm getting ready. I've got a couple of days left before I leave for Africa, my first visit to Africa. So. Oh. Oh, I'm, nice. uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So I'm, that I'm just is on of, my. It's on my bucket list, right there. It, it's been on mine too. I've got, uh, but of course, there's Iceland later in the year, and that's the, that's the last two of my three bucket list countries. So, I uh, I'm doing the I'm doing the stuff that I need to be doing this year. It's great. That's great. Well, congratulations. I'm uh, right behind you. So, Doug, what I wanted, and I, oh, Derek's back. Okay, what I, what I wanted. To, <laughs> Are you okay, Derek? You know, so, should we pause the show for you? No, I'm good. Man. I'm good. <laughs> I, I guess. I guess when you're six foot seven and you leave, everyone notices. <laughs> All right. So I've been threatening on the show to uh, to go to Korea, uh, which I'm going to do probably at the end of May. We're recording this the last day of April. Uh, or actually, no, this is May 1st. Are we May 1st? No, this is May 1st. Yep. So the end of this month, uh, I'm going to be heading out to South Korea against the recommendations of a lot of people who are saying, oh, you don't want to go out there because it's dangerous. Whatever. You know. I think North Korea is a dangerous place. Yes, I think so. <laughs> no, yeah, maybe, but you know, they, they tend to not blow themselves up. So, <laughs> so anyway... Uh, so I'm going to South Korea. I'm gonna to go to Seoul and sort of poke around. And the the point was, I wanna when I go, I'm gonna be taking a small body with me. And I bought a Fuji X100S to take with me. Um, and the question, I think Doug, you were on the show when I posed yep. the question, 
should I only take this camera? So I, I wanted to pose it again because after that show, I got, I don't know, I want to say about 50 emails from people saying on one side of the fence it was, Frederick, you're crazy. Take your DSLR. Of course. You know, you've you never been there before. You're going to limit yourself. You're going to see a shot that you want to get, and you won't be able to get it. The other side of the fence are people that, that say, of course, it's an exercise in restraint and minimalism. The X100S will be great, and yada, yada, yada. So what do you think? So, Derek, what, what do you think? Well, definitely take the X100S. That's a great, yeah. great camera. Okay. And... And uh, it's not it's not the uh, it's not the body. It's the thing. It's got the fixed lens on it, you know. Right. So you're stuck with one focal length. And you know, I, I, I'm all for camera. you know artistic discipline and all that stuff. But but I think some of your uh, listeners are right. You know, you're not. How many times are you going to go to Seoul? And uh, you know, I think I would at least want one or two other lenses for those situations. <laughs> That's not what I wanted to hear from you. Right? Something, you know, something's going to happen. You know, it's just I, I just think in the end you'll you'll come home with uh, better images. Okay, all right. So Derek is on the side of bring multi, bring the X100s, yeah, but also bring other cameras so I can have the flexibility. Sure, to yeah. I mean, when you, if I need when, when you go banging around the streets there, you know, have the X100s, sure, but uh, yeah, have something else. All right, Martin, I'm going to skip to you. What do you think? <laughs> Well, you probably don't want to hear what I want to say either. You're going to say, uh, bring everything you own. <laughs> Martin, no, Martin's, going to say, Martin's going to tell you to sell your Nikon gear, buy Canon, and take that. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I, um, I think that there's, there's certainly a place for the mirrorless cameras. And, uh, and I've, I mean, I, I've got a friend here in Japan I'm, I met a few weeks ago. He's just bought the OMD, was it EM5? Um, yeah, I looked at that. That it, some of the stuff that he's creating with it is great. Um, the, I, I think that you know, I mean, as I as I get older and my bag gets heavier, mm -hmm. um, I'm I'm thinking, you know, I I am certainly attracted to micro four thirds and the smaller kit and everything. But yeah. I, for me at the moment, there are still a couple of things that that really will stop me from jumping to that to the dark side Martin, or I'm, I'm not talking about you I'm talking about me this is all about yeah. me <laughs> well uh, well what, what it, it's going to it's going to lead to that in that the one of them is that um you know you really can't get a very very shallow depth of field you can get good depth of field it's certainly yeah. getting better um and they are getting more and more tempting as as the generations progress um so yeah for me it would be depth of field and if you if you think over in Korea you're going to be wanting to do some really shallow depth of field stuff that's one thing to think about but as Derek said you know 35 millimeters fixed is, is a little bit limiting I think if I was going to go micro four thirds I would probably still go for one that's got interchangeable lenses like um, the right? yeah um, yeah, I looked at but, that. I swear, Scott Board had one of those down in uh, at the Brooks reception. That's where I actually held one, and I was like, "Okay, this is not bad." But then the 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 masses were convincing me, basically saying, "Why are you going to invest in another interchangeable lens system when you already have Nikon and all these other lenses? Now you have to buy the Olympus and all of its lenses. Why not just skip that? Stick with the interchangeable lenses on the Nikon side if you need that flexibility." And use the Fuji for your walk around, kick around, David Hobby, Zach Arias type camera. Mm. I don't know. 
I, I was going to say that there's um, there are adapters. I'm just looking. I, I was talking about this on Google Plus a, a few weeks ago, and I mm -hmm. can't see the exact. It's that it's that adapter that makes actually makes um, your lenses faster. It's weird. Oh yeah, um, Metabones. Yeah, that's yeah, the one. Cool, very, very cool. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so you could, if you wanted to, as like a stepping stone, use yeah. your Nikon lenses. But of course, the problem there is that they're still big and they're still heavy, and all you're actually saving is the weight of the body, and that's not that big a deal when you're talking about the rest of your kit still weighing fifteen k. Right. So right. it it's it's. I think we're still in a very intermediate zone at the moment. We, oh, I'm I personally am waiting for mirrorless. SLRs, so basically not. They won't be even be SLRs. They'll be full frame. They'll perhaps be smaller and lighter. But I still want what the weatherproofing. I want mm -hmm. you know, a whole bunch of stuff. I want to be able to use That's my 600 millimeter lens. That Olympus OMD is, is supposed to be a yeah. tank weatherproof. Well, I mean, I, I've been shooting with it's it since it first good. came out. The yeah. OMD, Derek, really? Yeah, yeah, boy. Really? And what do you think of it? I mean, is I it? I love it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I, I grab it more than the Canon now. Interesting. So. Yeah. So okay, OMD versus Fuji. Me? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, I, I'm in other words, with... should I return my Fuji and get the OMD before well, I go to Korea? I'm going to go with me personally. I'd go with the OMD because the interchangeable lenses, and uh, you know they do have fast glass that opens up pretty good. Mm -hmm. So you know you can't. Martin was talking about the depth of field. That's you know that's still a challenge. But it's a lot easier to get depth of field, you know, at, at 1.4. I, I have, like, I have a Leica 25 millimeter that, that I put on the OMD. That's micro four-thirds uh, mount. And it's wide open. It's pretty nice. Uh, mm. So it's not the same as my 5D Mark II, but it's pretty nice. And it's mm. a lot lighter. Uh, so, I, you know, I would go OMD personally. All right. So, Doug K., I'm going to give you the last word on this. Uh, what you say goes. Uh oh. Well, I've done. Uh, Fuji, I've, I'm going to Korea. Whatever you well, say is going to guide and, and no, make or no, break no, my trip. Don't do that to me. <laughs> I've, uh, you know, I've done a review of the OMD EM5. I, yeah. I like that camera very much. I read that. I've, I've I read done that, reviews yeah. of the Sony NEX6 and 7. I've done reviews of the Fuji X100, not the S, and the X Pro One. Uh, my two favorites out of that were the OMD and the Sony, either of the Sonys. Mm. Um, and, you know, I will, I understand where you're coming from, wanting to not get into a second system. Yeah. But let me just say, give you an example of what Derek brought up. Uh, in 2011, on January 25th, I found myself in Tahrir Square, uh, in a hotel above Tahrir Square. If all I had was a wide-angle lens, all I would have come back with was the soundtrack. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> as it as it was, I happened to have uh, uh, an APS-C camera with a with an eighteen to two hundred zoom, and I was able to shoot video from a balcony overlooking Tahrir Square the the night the uh, the revolution began. So, you never know what happens, and if all you've got is uh, the equivalent of a thirty five millimeter lens or something like that, as Derek says, you know, you might be disappointed. You guys are killing. Yeah. So you know, and, and let me give it you. I'll tell you what. Remember, rent, Frederick. This is you know you're going know. to. How long are you going to South Korea for? That's a great point, ten, Doug. Ten That's days. a great point. Ten days. Well, you brought that ten, up. ten days. So so you you go and you rent whatever you want for two weeks, and you're not you don't have to marry it. You just have to rent it, right? You know, <laughs> I'm not even going there. Yeah, but, so you know, dating, dating versus marriage. Just date, okay. Yeah, just date your camera because. Um, 
that way you can change your mind and you're not out very much money. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking the NEX seven. I own two lenses and I'm renting two others and, um, we'll see how it goes. All right. And, you know, along those, along those lines, Frederick, if I wasn't using the OMD, the NEX seven would be the other choice. That, that's the other system and, that I think And if I didn't have the NEX7, the OM, OMD would be my other choice. Yeah, so I mean, so I, I think... For the, both of you guys, the Fuji does not fall into your one, your your top one or two. Uh, well, I you know, the camera that I'm shooting with uh, sometimes that I love is the X20, which is the smaller, of it, but it has a, a, an F2 to 2.8 zoom lens on it. So again, lens, you know, lens, you know, focal length. So uh, we I... Just but, need, we need a, like a little splash of... Like communism in the <laughs> photography market. There's too much choice. I need less choice. <laughs> I want to say one thing about the new Fuji. So that X trans sensor is good. And uh, now that everyone's figured out how to decode it, uh, those raw files, uh, you know, the images are, are pretty nice coming out of yeah. all, any all of right. the X trans sensors. See, I could go get the OMD tomorrow. You know, Sammy's camera, Calumet camera in San Francisco, they have the OMDs on the shelf. They yeah. can't keep the Fujis in stock, you know. So for me, Mister, you know, supply and demand marketer, I'm thinking, well, of course, the <laughs> Fuji must be the camera to get if the crowds want it, you know. Oh no, no, no! Meanwhile, the, the Fuji may be making three of them the a year. You know? <laughs> Fujis are the new kids on the block. You know? It's the same thing with the OMD a uh, year and a half ago. So yeah, yep. yeah. Yeah. By the way, the OMD has that really nice Sony sensor in it. It's, All right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna Doug. I'm gonna take your advice. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna rent the thing, and play around with it. And I have the Fuji coming. I actually ordered it. It should have been here today because I was gonna show it off on the show. <laughs> but you know how it is when you order your gear. It's always gonna be at least a day late. Right. You know? Send it. Send it back and rent. You'll always be able to buy one. I'm serious. <laughs> I don't, know if I, I don't know if I can send back the X100S. <laughs> well, that's going to be like three grand. I'm going to be into camera yeah. bodies. Three if grand. If he doesn't do that, he's get, he's going to get the X100S. He's going to end up leaving it at home and rent the OMD, and then what he's going to do? Uh, take them both. <laughs> take them both. All right. Thanks, guys, for completely screwing up my bank account. All right. Uh, <laughs> My just quick update is uh, this week in photo is in a, in a partnership with a company called Viewbug. Uh, photographers may have heard of them. They do photo contests, and I was looking for someone to help us run photo contests. Now, you may remember in the, future, in the past we were doing uh, raffles where you could just go in and put your name in a hat and win things like the connected data transporter or iAcrylic prints, that kind of thing. Um, this is a photo contest. So we're bringing photo contests back and I actually I actually have some music queued up to uh, help me <laughs> illustrate the fact just don't dance that I'm bringing <laughs> can you guys hear that only just <laughs> alright that was I'm bringing sexy back so I'm bringing <laughs> photo contests back to TWIP this first one is a landscapes and nature contest <laughs> So, Martin, you cannot enter this. <laughs> right. Martin Bailey is barred from entering this Landscapes and Nature contest. No snow monkeys in this. But uh, we'll put the link to this thing in the, in the episode notes for this episode. But it's really cool. If you go to the contest, what you can win is a 20 by 24, three-quarter inch thick, stainless steel-backed, iAcrylic heirloom 
print. These things are massive and nuclear blast proof. So maybe I should take it to South Korea. Um, <laughs> but it's amazing. So they're giving that away. So we're going to give that away. And also, the, I think the cool thing about this is the winner, we are in this panel in a Google Plus Hangout as we record TWIP, we're going to invite the winner to sit in with us while we critique his or her photo. So not only will they receive this gorgeous print to hang on their wall, but we're going to talk about it and give them tips or ask questions and all that stuff live to the This Week in Photo audience. So that's the first thing. The second thing is if you need help. Now, this contest runs through the end of May, so it ends, ends May 31st, so you can enter it you know, between now and the end of the month. But if you need help figuring out how to shoot landscape photos, Trey Radcliffe has a new travel tutorial out that he's given TWIP listeners 20% off with the code TWIPPHOTO. Um, if you go to, to stuckincustoms.com and just look for their New Zealand workshop, 20% um, off with our code. So check that out. Enter this contest and uh, hang out with us on the show. So that's it for that. Okay, guys, let's jump into the first news story. This first one is about PopChart. So PopChart Lab has recently produced a cool poster-sized print that you can order. It features 100 groundbreaking cameras in the history of photography. And among the cameras on their list are the Kodak Brownie, the Roloflex, the Canon F1, the Pentax K1000, the iPhone 5, of course, and the Nikon D700. So you can buy this poster for 27 bucks. But for you guys, I want to talk about, is this a good list? What's missing from this list, Derek? If you were to, if you were to put together Derek Story's Number, let's say number top two cameras in the time that you've been shooting. What would number one and number two be? Well, I mean that's a great list, by the way. I mean, you know that I love that poster. I think it's just it's just great, awesome. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh man, you know it's just, it's really good. And there's a lot of cameras on there that that, that I have and, and love. Uh, you know, one of my top two cameras that that changed my photography was the uh, you know the the Hasselblad C500. 500C, you know, with uh, just the 80 millimeter uh, lens on that, and and I had a Polaroid back, and you know, <laughs> and uh, that was that was a wonderful thing for me. But the the very first camera that I published uh, a shot with uh, for a newspaper was the Argus C3, wow. and uh, that is also has the distinction of being the ugliest camera ever designed. Now, so, Derek, how, it, how many megapixels was that? Yeah, that was. Uh, <laughs> That was uh, that was a Tri-X and AccuFine megapixels. Nice. Is what that was, nice. uh, but you know, so you know, it's funny when when you've been shooting with cameras for a long time, you look at that list and you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was really glad to see the uh, Contax RTS3 on there. It was a camera that uh, that I have that I think was a groundbreaking camera. It actually had a vacuum back. Uh, f to hold the film perfectly flat so that you got a perfectly flat plane to project the image on from the lens. Wow. I mean, it's wow. crazy. You know, there's some good stuff that's that, happening. Back in the day when men were men, you know. Now it's a... <laughs> well, you know, we, 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 sh we sh thought at 36 frames at a time, right? That right. Was, yeah. Uh, yeah. Men were men 36 frames at a time. <laughs> 36 frames at a time. <laughs> we weren't yeah. men anymore while we changed the film. <laughs> Missed the yeah. shot. So, Martin, what about you? Have you seen this list? And um, you know, what would yeah. be your top two? Like, if you know, since you've been shooting, what would you put at the you know, this is the number one camera of all time, and this is the runner-up. Well, I I think um, for me, again, going back to like like Derek says, the one of the cameras that changed my photography was the D30. That's on there. Mm -hmm. um, 
and the D30, I remember paying a ridiculous amount. Looking back, it seemed like it was, you know, way too much for a camera, and it was like three megapixels. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I did really, really enjoy that that camera. And I actually, because I'd I'd been out of photography for a while, as I went back to England and sorted a few things out for a few years, I uh, I wasn't really following when things were coming out and what have you. So I, I bought the, I bought the D30 for almost three grand, I think it was, just about a week before they announced the D60 with six megapixels instead. But um, I was able to to stick with it for a while. I didn't jump into the you know onto the next one. It was too much to to really do that. Um, but I I also I thought I was surprised not to see you know for the sake of the people watching the the video the AE one the Canon AE one yeah and um, because this was I mean they're talking about groundbreaking this is the first camera to have an electronic meter in it. Um, the A one's on the list, which is which was a great camera too. But the AE one was the first to actually have electronics in it. It's got a little microcomputer in there. So I uh, I was surprised not to see this. But um, I totally agree with you, Martin, on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a that is a major omission. Yeah, yeah. the the AE one should have been in there. But um, I see the. I also, I mean, they've got the GoPro at the end. I mean, I'm just sitting I here with a little, yeah. little collection of cameras here. Um, so there's a GoPro in there, and there's a Lytro in there. Yeah, I mean, the GoPro for sure. I mean, put it in; it it doesn't work, but it's uh, it actually. You know, but actually, you know what? These these are actually. I'm um, give them the due. These are actually two new GoPros. They I contacted them, and they 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 sent me two new ones because the original batch seemed to be pretty, you know, have pretty big problems. These are going to Africa with me next week and see if uh, see if they're any better. But um, yeah, the GoPro's good. I uh, but I would have liked to have seen the AE one on there as well. I, I'd like the record to show that the camera that's right next to the uh, Lytro is the Fujifilm FinePix X100. So I go on the record. I'm looking for the Olympus on this. In this, I don't see it in here. Where's the Olympus? <laughs> Where is the Olympus in this top 100 cameras? I don't know. Am I missing it? <laughs> well, the, was the one that they put in there, for the EP1, yeah. was the EP1, which oh, okay. which yeah. is if you go groundbreaking, that was one of the first Micro Four Thirds. So, Doug, yeah. Doug, what about you? If you're 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 picking your top two cameras of all time, are they on this list or are there something else? Well, let let me say that. And no jokes about the gray hair, but I've I've had uh, I've owned seven of these cameras on the list, and the earliest is what they call a Kodak baby brownie. We just called it the brownie. Um, that was my first camera as a kid. Uh, I think the you know we could debate this list forever because I think there are some omissions. Yeah. But you know my the the most groundbreaking for me were actually I had a Nikon F in the late sixties. That was an amazing camera, but at that point, I didn't know enough about what I was doing to know what it was like relative to the other cameras that were out, but it certainly was um, groundbreaking for me personally. Yeah. Um, I was, was a little disappointed they didn't have another camera that I owned, which is the Nikonos, which was uh, a you know an underwater camera that didn't require a housing. It was a sealed 35-millimeter camera, which was also an amazingly groundbreaking camera, but maybe that's just outside the scope of what they wanted to have. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I've, I've had seven of them, and I think the 
for me, it would be the, you know, probably the F, the Nikon F, and um, I'm not sure what the other one would be from that list for me. Probably the Brownie. has to be the Brownie. Yeah. Well, iPhone 5's on there, too. You yeah. Yeah. But I, iPhone 5 is a great camera. I've got one, but it's evolutionary to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know that the iPhone 5 is 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 a, a major milestone like some of these others. You know, the SX70, the Polaroid SX70 yes. was an amazing camera when it came out. I remember that. I remember that. It's quick not for, take. Not I for, didn't see Quick Take on there. Did you see the, yeah, the no. Apple Quick Take? No. Yeah. So, so, well, listeners, you can buy this print. Um, they've got it for 27 bucks. We'll link to it in the show notes. It's pretty interesting, you know, and that would, uh, I may have to get it. It looks cool framed. It may look good on my wall back there. So mm-hmm. I may have to get that. All right, guys. Uh, the next story up is really interesting. Now, we always tackle copyright issues, or at least at least bring them to the to forefront. This latest <laughs> because latest, none of us are lawyers. <laughs> none of us are lawyers. We're just people that like to complain about the law. So this latest um, twist in UK is. Let me read this to you because I'm going to get it wrong if I don't. <clears throat> it says the Enterprise and Regulatory Reform Act contains changes to U.S. copyright law which permit the commercial exploitation of images where information identifying the owner is missing, so-called orphan works, by placing the work into what's known as extended collective licensing schemes. Since most digital images on the Internet today are orphans, the metadata is missing or has been stripped by a large organization, millions of photographs and illustrations are swept into such schemes. In other words, people can't find you for some reason and they exert reasonable effort to find you, then your image is fair game. If, am I reading this right? Martin, let me, let me go with you first. Am I reading this right? And, and you, what did you, you think? Read it, you read it perfectly right, except I think you said US instead of UK. UK, um, yeah. So, UK. yeah. So it's, uh, you're reading it right. I mean, it, it's, you know, the, the, an orphaned, work is basically something that you, if you can't find the the owner or the you know the copyright owner or the person that, that photographed the image with reasonable effort then you can basically use it that's what it's saying and but what's you know, reasonable I'm, effort does that mean i did exactly. a google search i couldn't find derek so all of his image, right. the image is mine now or well you you wouldn't even you wouldn't even necessarily know Derek's name because if they, you know, right. if places like Facebook are stripping out the metadata and you don't have a copyright actually embedded in the image, then you know you they wouldn't even be they wouldn't even be able to find out that it was one of yeah. Derek's photos. So oh. it's it's a huge what a mess. You know, it, it is it's a mess and it's it's um the the unfortunate thing is is that. If you can't find out who who used it, you can't find out where they are. So it's not just going to affect people in the UK. It's going to affect everybody because yeah. some a, a business in the UK will be able to just walk up and grab any images, and you're not going to have a chance of fighting it in in court because it, if if it's something used in the UK, um, so yeah, there's a lot of a lot of problems surrounding this. Um, I think someone's dropped a, a very big ball. Doug Doug K, looking at this, does this does this mean that now it's time for us to sort of get reinvested in watermarking all of our images? You know, what, what's, the, what's, the, what's the defense against something like this? Well, I, I've talked about this on the show once before. I, uh, an interesting story happened to me just this week. Um, when I have nothing else to do, I'll go to Google Image Search and search for some of my more popular images to find all the places that they show up online. Uh, because you can just take and 
drag and drop a JPEG into Google image search and it'll look for that image elsewhere on the web. And uh, I find them all the time. I found one that was interesting. It was on Facebook that someone had copied with no credit or anything like that. Um, there was no EXIF data. It had all been stripped out. But I digimark all my images that I publish. So I have an invisible embedded digital um, uh, watermark in there. And sure enough, when I downloaded that image, I was able to read the digimark. I went onto Facebook, filled out a form, and within six hours, they took it down. Uh, all I had to do was tell yeah. them I had, it was digimarked. I love that. I mean, that's great that you can find it. But my concern is you someone uses your image right yep. online they use it in some publication you see it on the billboard or whatever and they're making money on your image yeah, but i can prove it's mine but today right but today you can say before this law you could say hey that's my image damages if i'm reading this law right after this law they can say well hey i exerted reasonable effort to find Doug K and i could not find him or i didn't know who this image belonged to therefore I'm not liable. Sorry, you know. Yeah, now I, that I, I know, that, I'll take it down. I think the I'm people. That, yeah, I think the people that Digimark uh, are heavily invested in making sure that that their digital watermarks are something that people need to check in order to be reasonable. Right. The problem. The problem. My problem with that is, I mean, I used Digimark years ago, and and I I don't know if it's improved, but you can sometimes see the the graininess or the effect of, of applying the Digimark to a, an image and I that's why I, I stopped doing it plus at the time um, I'm not sure if this is fixed as well or ch changed I should probably say mm -hmm. but uh, Digimark used to say oh yeah we, we'll find your images on the web but you have to tell them where to look they don't just troll on the web and find and look find your images and report them to you right. so uh, I I was um, I was basically a little bit uh, unenamored with the with Digimart because of that. So I mean, if you, I just think you shouldn't have to do that. I mean, if if places like um, Facebook stop stripping the EXIF, if it became illegal to strip the EXIF at the same time, then I think we'd all be much happier. Because most cameras, all you have to do to get the minimal in there is to set your is to type your name in in the camera and it, and all of yeah. them pretty much now. But you know, it, it 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 might not have been Facebook that did it. It could have been this individual who stripped the EXIF data and then re re uploaded the image. I don't know. I don't know who took it out of there. Well, uh, apparently Facebook strips EXIF data. So okay, well then then that solves that one. In yeah. answer to your two things, though, Martin, you're right about the Digimark search. It was always useless, mm. um, and it's I think they they it, it's an unbundled service now, pretty much, and I don't mm. use it. Uh, in terms of the image quality. I've never been able to see it. You've been printing for longer than I have, so I don't know how it shows up in your prints. Um, I don't see it. It's it's not so much print. I mean, I wouldn't even print from an image that had got a Digimark. It's it's more that every so often it wasn't a lot. It, it, it was it was a very small number of times, but especially with black and white, where they've got mm -hmm. less bits to play. You know, they've got less less color depth. No, no color depth really to play with. Um, they, you could see a little bit more grain than was in the original image. Um, it wasn't enough to really. That wasn't the main reason that I stopped using it. It was. It, it was partly just because of uh, the the fact that it didn't really help me to find anything anyway. It was no more proactive right. than I could be with something like Tin Eye or something like. I, that. I just. I, I like the fact that I can instantly prove that it's my image. Yeah. It's sort of a nice. I, I, it's, I, it has a comfort feel to it. So, 
Derek, Derek, you know, you jump in here. So, so Doug, Doug is comforted by the fact that if he if he finds that he's been ripped off, he can prove that the, that his is that's his image, and he can then you know go through steps to get compensated for that. My my position is with this new law, it seems like that would be moot. Not moot that yeah, I can prove that's mine, but damage has already been done, right. and now that the person that stole the image is sort of indemnified from having to compensate me because they can cry, well, I tried to find Doug, and I couldn't find him, but now that I found him, I'll stop doing it, but I can't be liable for anything that happened up until now that I found him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, and that's the way it is, you know, with the orphan law. And it's funny, you know, going back to metadata, because the whole metadata thing, I I really like one of the things that Martin said, which is, you know, the, the application software that strips metadata out I mean that needs to be fixed and that's such an easy fix Mm -hmm. everywhere everywhere I had it happen to me just uh, recently with a client I I sent a bunch of shots uh, on an assignment and one of the one of the people one of the clients was reviewing it she opened them up in Microsoft Word why I don't know clients are clients she opened up a Microsoft Word and then uh, and then she picked the ones that she wanted and she passed them on to her web designer web designer put them up on the site that by going through Microsoft Word all of the metadata all of the IPTC was stripped out mm. everything was out and so I'm looking at these shots on the site and I'm going all the metadata is out not only for uh, you know my protection and my other photographers protection who are working with me but there's good information in there to help you know those things show up in search yeah. and so forth yeah. and it's just bad software it's just bad software and that that's the part that annoys me because so much metadata gets stripped out uh, unintentionally, and then once it's out, it's gone, and uh, you know there's nothing to help us. It's gone forever. It's scary. I mean, the whole thing is there. Yeah. Is there is there anything that we can do now? Like I was saying, is it now on across the middle of all of our images? We have to put, you know, copyright you Frederick know, Van Johnson no, 2013. You know. Make, you know what? So, someone made a good point. We've been discussing this on Google Plus this week. Someone, someone, and I'd need to go back and find the guy's name, but a very good point was made that it should be the, the camera manufacturers should, uh, and they, you know, the IPTC, whoever, whoever is responsible for EXIF should make it secure. You know, yeah. it cannot be removed from the image. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously you could screenshot, but, you know, there's... There, as far as passing around a digital file, it should be embedded in there so deep that it, that you can't strip it out. You need a password, an encrypted password, to strip right. it out. Right. And Martin, that can be done right now. That can sure. be done. Yeah. Right. In fact, uh, annoyingly enough, Olympus is doing it right now. They they embed uh, Olympus digital imaging in one of the XF fields that, for the life of you, you know, you can't get out. Sometimes mm. is that with that magical OMD that you were talking about? <laughs> yeah. Uh, they they've been doing it for years. So I don't know. This is some some wacky thing that happened, but at any rate, you, you can put stuff in the XF that that um, is protected. It can be done yeah. right now. The, there's the Canon have the digital um, certificate thing in there as well, but it uh, you need you need things extra to do it. And I mean, what what this guy was saying, I thought it was a really good point, is that you just lock everything. Only the owner, the original owner. So even in Lightroom. When you when you install Lightroom, you'd need to have a in, enter a password or something, so that you authorize Lightroom to 
change the data on your behalf. So you're, you're, talking, when, you're talking about adding adding a level of digital rights management to digital imagery, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and and make sure that it's it's you know there's no way it would have to be like against the law mm. to you'd be a hacker basically if you were to change it. Um, so, you know, I think that that's the best way. I mean, just just make it so that people cannot remove the, the EXIF data and only the person that owns the copyright, the person that shot the image or a person that has been, that has bought the image and the copyright, which is rare anyway. Uh, but only the, only people with a legal right to change the EXIF data can actually do it. Well, while while Apple is feverishly working on the next version of Aperture, maybe they'll reconstitute Fairplay, which they had on songs and iTunes, and change it to Fairview, put it in, <laughs> put it in Aperture, and add DRM to Aperture, right? Let's, you know, maybe that, they, could, they could be disruptive in the market and sort of combat this stuff. I don't know. It's scary. All right, guys, um, let's move on with the show here. I was going to uh, go into some roundtable discussion about post-processing workflows. I'm going to save that to a, uh, to a later show. Right now, I'm going to we'll insert an interview, a, a Google Plus Hangout I did earlier today with Corwin Hebert. He's one of the forces behind Craft and Vision. That's the amazing ebook company founded by Twipper David Dushman. Corbin and I, or Corwin and I, discussed um, just the entire sort of ebook world and specifically how they're able to price their books at just five dollars each. So give this a listen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with Mr. Corwin Hebert. He's uh, he's a guy that does a million things. He kind of reminds me of me. He does a lot of stuff, <laughs> but on kind of this level where I'm kind of over here. Uh, but you're Corwin, you're doing stuff with Craft and Vision. You're writing eBooks now. You publish things. You're doing. You're traveling. You're doing a, a bunch of things. But what I wanted to focus on in this interview with you is sort of the business side of your mind and the marketing from a at it growing your vision monger sort of point of view. So I want to talk about this. So, so first of all, welcome to This Week in Photo. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're, you're welcome. Let's, uh, let's just jump right into it and talk about who you are. So I kind of foreshadowed a little bit that you're involved with Craft and Vision. Let's just start there. What are, what are you doing with Craft and Vision, and, and how do you put up with that David Dushman guy? Yeah, yeah, that David Dushman guy. He's he's the credit character. Uh, David is a, a very very close friend of mine. We've been great friends for a long time, uh, and it was um, it's just coming up on four years now. Uh, David and I were hiking uh, up on the west coast here in Vancouver, and he as we're walking up the trail, he says to me, "Hey, have you ever heard of eBooks?" And I'm like, "Yeah." I kind of heard of them. Eh, whatever, interesting. I wouldn't read them. I think I remember saying famously, <laughs> and uh, and he says, "Well, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna try it out. I think I'm gonna give it a shot." And so we talked about it for a few minutes. You know, we climb down from the mountain, have a couple pints, and I forgot all about it. Two weeks later, he throws a PDF on his blog, and uh, it goes like uh, hotcakes. And uh, now, four years later, uh, Craft and Vision has uh, 46 products uh, available, and um, my role with Craft vision is I'm the production manager so uh, David you know sets the vision he's got a, a clear idea of what kind of work that he wants to publish what kind of education content he wants to put out there what kind of photographers uh, he wants to collaborate with um, and he pulls the pin and he throws it at me <laughs> he's like 
go make that stuff happen. Uh, David is very involved, obviously, but um, my role is to sort of you know bring these products uh, you know into uh, into the world and to work with the team. Uh, we have um, editors, designers, uh, production coordinators, uh, you know, social media people, web uh, guys that um, make it all happen. So my job is to keep everything rolling, uh, keep products um, hitting hitting the the website, and keep people happy uh, reading great uh, photography education uh, ebooks. So it's been really fun. We. We've um, really sort of feel like we've been leading the charge when it comes to uh, to giving people great content at uh, you know stupidly low prices, which is always exactly. there's nothing quite like marketing something that you're really proud of and it's disgustingly cheap. That's uh, what I wanted to do. Yeah, you guys, you you set the bar really low in terms of pricing on these <laughs> things. You know, yeah. I mean, the quality is up here. And the price is at what five bucks, right? For yeah, that, what our normal offering, our standard offering, is a five dollar ebook, which we usually launch at a dollar off. So we're talking four bucks, uh, you know, for your average, you know, um, ebook launch. So it's uh, less than a cup of coffee. That's right. You, it depends on where you live, but uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let's let's talk about that a little bit. So you've been doing this since since the beginning. You've sort of been in the middle of this the sort of ebook digital content consumption mm -hmm. revolution, right? How has and, and admittedly, you said that when you and David were on that hike, you were like, you know, ebook schmebook, right? Now, as you look backwards over the journey that you've taken, how have you seen things change in terms of the the technology and in terms of people sort of warming up to consuming content through ebooks? Yeah, you know, four years ago, uh, ebooks, as a general rule, were um, ugly, you know atrocities they were graphic design nightmares um, and they didn't present well and if for example you wanted to present photographs uh, in a PDF in a digital format in a digital download format you were coming up against bandwidth issue issues you were coming up with you know people's screens you know we were still formatting ebooks uh, like early on thinking okay what if someone's you know CRT monitor 800 by 600 what you know what's that going to do and you know what if they're in Bangladesh with a you know a a nail banged into a wire hanging over a power line hoping they're going to get internet you know so for example we were uh, we were exporting from InDesign um, files that did not exceed eight megabytes in file size whereas you know now this past um, a few months ago we had a big book come out which was 330 pages and it was like 200 megabytes in file size and we're like who cares or, you know we'll just put it out there. It? oh yeah totally all over the world and and so it's sort of like we've seen you know digital content be consumed much more uh, easily uh, and people's expectations are you know are changing and and for example um, ebooks that we first put out four years ago were in the six to eight thousand word kind of structure mm -hmm. uh, now our ebooks are in the you know 10 12 all the way up to 20,000 words without even flinching whatever without we wouldn't even think about it like oh we should probably make sure that we're you know over delivering is always a good idea and there's a lot of stuff out there that you know for a lot more money you can sure get a lot less um, quality content and we don't want to focus on word counts or even image counts for that matter but you know focusing on good quality and great photographers that know how to educate they like knowing that hey in instead of taking you know two paragraphs to outline something I think I'm 
going to take, you know, a number of pages. I'm going to go in depth and try to be as helpful as possible. So sort of the, the, the desire for, um, for detailed uh, education content is there. And when you're competing with industry magazines that are 10, 15 or $25 and articles are only a few hundred words sometimes, it's nice to be able to put a product out there that's ad-free and is, um, you know, is tries to take a, a topic um, to a deeper level. Well, how did you guys strike that balance? Because you know, for putting on my marketing hat, you know, there's that whole the idea of price perception, right? And you look at you look at a Tiffany's that'll take the same thing that some unknown jewelry store is selling, and they can move the decimal point over and get mm -hmm. that price for it because they're Tiffany's and they have the little blue box. But totally. how, do, how did you guys sort of get to that level where you're putting out this high level of quality, pricing it at this crazy low price, mm -hmm. but still, you know, because I, I guess where I'm going with this is I, I would think that people are going to look at that and say, five bucks, it can't be that good, whatever. You know, they may buy it because it's only five bucks. But yeah. when in reality, that's not the case. You could be charging $20, $30 for this thing. Yeah. So how did how did you surpass that price perception barrier? Well, I mean that's a uh, is a great question, and the reality is that there are a lot of ebook producers out there in the photography uh, industry that are doing higher price books, um, and you know they're they're charging premium price, um, you know, and 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 one of the ways that they um, take care of that is that they, for example, um, they might sell fewer of them, and that's they're they're happy with that, you know, that give and take of number of downloads you know, being at, because of the higher price point, just not as attractive to, you know, to as many buyers potentially. Um, they also, if they do affiliate marketing, they may decide, hey, as a result of my high price point, I'm able to give my affiliates, uh, you know, more kickback. So there's this give and take with that. Um, but, but I also think that when it comes to, um, you know, the reasoning, to be honest, and David, when he first launched his first ebook, uh, he called it 10, 10 things you can do to better your photography without buying gear. I think that was the tag, uh, the, yep. the subtitle. Um, he put it out there and said, hey, everyone, here's a $10 ebook, but because I don't know what anyone's going to think of this, I'll make it five bucks and we'll just see what happens. Um, in the end, he's like, after about a month of selling a $5 ebook, he didn't have the heart to put the price back to $10 where he had intended it. <laughs> he got and he's, stuck, he's right? publicly He's publicly said that. So so it, it was sort of like we kind of fell into this price point. And in the end, what it came down to as a marketing decision is hey, we kind of want to make these eBooks a little bit of a no-brainer, you know, a little bit of a, you know, maybe we can just make this easy on people. And, and you know, marketing something, uh, trying to build a buzz, trying to get people to, you know, click this, you know, and give us money. Um, one of the ways you can do that is by by simplifying the experience and by making it a price point that doesn't make you think twice. Um, that's a marketing decision that that we made. So we just sort of kept it, you know, kept it low. Some of our products are more than five dollars now, um, based on their value, based on what they what they accomplish, based on the kind of work that goes into them. Um, but you know, knowing that the average product that we have is a, a five dollar download, it just makes it um, you know easy for people to to buy what they want to buy. Yeah. Now, now looking at, I'm looking at the site now. So I'm noticing that you guys have stuck with the PDF format and yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. Is there a Kindle version out there as well? <laughs> I mean, and what about iBooks? Why, why did, did the obvious thing that in my brain is you stuck with PDF because it's the lowest yeah. common denominator. You That's know? correct. There's uh, a lot of reasons. About all the things that iBooks can do, you know? Yeah. Okay. So there's a, there's a lot of reasons and, 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 you know, uh, 
when it comes to all the ways in which you can deliver um, great, you know, content online, um, because our, our customer base is so broad, it's, you know, around the world, it's on so many different platforms and environments and devices, uh, you know, PDF, you know, is sort of that lowest, like you said, lowest common denominator across all of our customers. Um, when it comes to the quality, being able to produce you know, layouts that, you know, I know everyone really likes highly variable layouts so that the content is moving around or whatever. Sort of but as you can, yeah, yeah reflowing content, that sounds cool and all, but um, you can get some pretty, pretty messed up layouts when, when people start getting uh, overly creative with it. Um, and also, too, like uh, we wanted to control uh, how images are viewed. We wanted to control um, how um, layouts look and feel and how they're read. And so we wanted to kind of create the most consistent way to deliver that. Um, and PDFs are doing that. Now, we had a Craft Vision app on the Apple Store for over two years. Mm -hmm. um, but about a year ago, no, sorry, about seven months ago, we actually um, killed our app and kind of just said, you know what? The app was just regurgitating our PDFs. And, you know, apps, you, you know, Either an app is a five-star killer, unbelievable app, or it's nothing. And um, you know, David kind of described it as a. Um, it, it, uh, I don't remember how, uh, who he got this sort of uh, slogan from, but it was sort of a. I think it was um, uh, Derek Sivers. Just hell yeah or hell no. Like it's either uh, I am. We are one hundred percent committed to making the best possible app, or. We're, or we're not. And okay. we just weren't loving the app experience. And, you know, it was just faster, easier, more fun, and a better quality control around just producing PDFs for people to do what they want. And to be honest, when it comes to digital rights management and kind of managing all those aspects of people sharing content, David kind of wanted to hold it a little looser and kind of go, you know what, people are going to share stuff anyway. Let's just, obviously, we don't love it when people start, you know, it's our customers are the ones who email email us saying, "Hey, I just found your ebook on some file sharing site." Is our customers are the ones that are like telling people to rip stuff down and and you know that was that was my next question, Corwin. Was the the some other platforms allow you to do uh, DRM or digital rights management um, a little easier or a lot easier than PDF? I mean, you can mm -hmm. password a PDF, totally you know, can those sorts of things. But beyond that. You know, people can share, right? And they can yeah. email it. They can. Now, have you seen a significant amount of piracy with people just sort of sharing a file around? We see some. You know, uh, someone pointed, one of our customers pointed me to a digital, uh, sorry, to a file sharing site where uh, an ebook that had just gone out a couple days prior, it had said it had already downloaded, you know, three or 4,000 times. Mm -hmm. And so as a, as a producer, you're thinking, oh my word, 3,000. You know, the reality is, are those people? you know, connected into our community? Are they right. passionate photographers that care about their work as much as the work of the others that they're learning from? Mm -hmm. I don't, we don't consider them a threat uh, at all. So, you know, it doesn't, doesn't really concern us too much. And, you know, just to give you a sense of what this means for someone like David, um, he, David has two eBooks on craft and vision right now. It's a set called vision is better and vision is better too. Those are republished blog posts from his blog that he has put into a PDF and he's selling them for $5 and right in the marketing copy it says you don't have to buy this ebook you can go to my blog and read it but that if you like want David right there I know it's like that's like selling anyway <laughs> yeah it, it's just 
it's funny and and customers of ours read it and go ha 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 click and yeah. they buy yeah. it because they're like you know what we like the layout we like the format we want it in our library in our digital library I want it on my iPad I want it on my phone I kind of want to enjoy the content the way that Craft and Vision lays things out and yeah it's re you know it's it's content that's come from his website but they get it they're drinking the Kool-Aid and they're fine with it so yeah. it's funny you know yeah you can hold on pretty tight and you mentioned iBooks well mm -hmm. uh, we don't publish through iBooks because they have um, they have restrictions around where you can sell their that content or how you can distribute that content in other places and we didn't feel like allowing um, another publisher to dictate uh, where and how we publish so it makes, it makes kind of put the brakes on so that was the that was the, the toss-up because iBooks allow you to do all these sort of ma these magical things with interactivity and videos and audio and all that stuff you guys are going straight this is just this is a digital book and and you'll enjoy it we control the layout we control mm -hmm. the images and the distribution right yeah I mean and ultimately craft and vision isn't an ebook company it's a photography education company mm -hmm. so right now the way that we distribute PDFs it's the best possible way for us to educate as many photographers uh, as possible. It also gives us the opportunity to grow our affiliate uh, community the way that we want to grow it. And so we're able to sort of, you know, uh, keep it personal, keep it within our, our sphere of influence and, and manage it the way we want to manage it. We're not exposed to other companies, you know, suddenly deciding to change whatever, you know, resolution, whatever, you know, percentages, whatever, you know, copyright restrictions or ownership, um, we get to sort of, you know, be the boss of our own world. So love it. Yeah. Okay, let's talk a little bit about um, speaking of the world, this the the world, maybe it's in a it's in a state of transition away from physical paper based dead tree books over to the digital. But I wanted to get from your perspective, you know, and back on my shelf behind me, I've got I've got a you know, at least one David Dushman book, you know, back mm -hmm. there. That's a physical book that you can sort of lay down with. You take it to the beach, whatever. Yeah. Um, how, how is that? How do you guys feel about that world? Is it, do you feel like it's, you know, it, there's a place for both, you know, both printed and digital? Or is digital clearly going to eclipse print one day and print's going to go the way of the dinosaurs? How, what do you think from a, from a digital publishing perspective? Yeah, I mean, from... Uh, well, I can tell you, like, uh, right now, uh, we're in the middle of um, finishing a print run on a physical print book um, of David's. It's a fine art book called Seven, um, Seven Years, Seven Continents, and it's his uh, first um, fine art book, so he's self-publishing uh, it. And, you know, from a business model, let me, I can tell you that, you know, uh, print <laughs> – uh, print is expensive <laughs> yeah, to make yeah. it to yeah. publish print books you know we were looking at the bill and we're like oh, wow, this is expensive <laughs> um, and you know and and for example like we we were marketing um, seven on David's blog and we're saying um, hey everyone you know you can buy seven and oh by the way here's the shipping cost and you know people are emailing us going I love I would love to buy seven but you know the, the shipping costs are too much and we're like we know. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry about that, but that's the way it is. And you know, but from from the artist perspective and from the publishing perspective, there's still a lot of pride and a lot of um, pure artistic enjoyment around creating physical stuff. And people have a different experience with physical material yeah. and and things that are tangible. And almost it kind of changes that legacy environment of kind of going. You know, this is 
this is um creative work that's done and it's it's here right in my hands i can smell it i can feel it i can you know it it feels intimate in a lot of ways especially for an artist so david is extremely proud of seven and it's um going to be finished uh binding i believe at the end of the month here in in may so you know i to answer your question directly, I'd say that print will always be there. It is an art form in its own right, and it is a way in which uh, content creators, producers, artists, all sorts of people want to uh, convey their work and share their work and create that experience. I think that from a uh, business model perspective, I think um, print is just its a bit more of a liability. It represents, you know, that risk of how many boxes of books do we want, you know, sitting under our desk for the next 10 yeah. years. Yeah. You know, you take those risks and you just, you, you litigate them as best as you're able. You find ways around it if you can. And the reality is, is that, um, you know, they, they have their value. They have their place. I know they have a place on my bookshelf because I sometimes love it. Um, I love it a lot to have a great book that I'm excited to own and have it on my bookshelf. Uh, but sometimes my Kindle or my, you know, iPad or whatever is totally great for the content or whatever it is that I want to read. So yeah. I'd say it's a, it is a blend. It is a blend. Okay. So, so switching gears a little bit, I know that you, you have, uh, and I was showing some on the screen. I don't know if you saw them a minute ago. Um, you have some work published in the Craft and Vision store. So this latest ebook that you have in there, tell me about that. And what, what was the genesis of that? Yeah, so I just in uh, January I published my third ebook on craft and vision. It's called Growing the Vision Monger Two. Mm -hmm. It's a follow up to my first uh, ebook that I did a few years ago, and the ebook is pretty clear in that it's a kind of a photographic entrepreneurial kick in the ass. Just um, some you know thoughts, insights from you know the work that I do with creative people and with creative photographers, and it's you know ideas and uh, on you know how to grow your business, how to you know organize your business, how to market your photography business, and then I also I hooked up with Wonderful Machine, the the um, the photo reps, and kind of said, hey, you know, what if some of your photographers, you know, you know, shared their images, shared their interview, you know, insights, and so I interviewed some of them, and was I was able to put um, in there um, some some great little bits from you know hearing from me on um, business manager so I'm going to talk about the business stuff but I wanted to make sure that you know our readers got a chance to also hear from you know photographers that are out there making money doing work for clients and uh, so I kind of put it together into uh, something that's a lot of fun so yeah growing the vision monger actually is a is an ebook that um, came right on the heels of my print book, Living the Dream, which I did through Peach Pit. So it was in a short span of time, I just blasted, you know, as much business advice and marketing advice for photographers uh, as I could put out there. That is great. And that's a sorely needed topic, let me tell you. Yeah. So that's great. So as much as you can share, you know, the having done the, the physical atom-based book and the electron-based book, what about the yeah, monetarily, which one's doing better? Oh, that's a great question. Um, ebooks represent a, a a better revenue stream for me as a as an author. I mean, there's there's so much easier to share. There's so much easier to sort of get out in the world, and um, you know, it, it's just 
uh, ebooks are just so easy to consume. So I'm a big fan of, of publishing um, content, and I'm glad that I've been able to put the effort out and, and be able to be one of the Craft and Vision authors. I'm the only non-photographer that's on Craft and Vision, so I, I you know, I, I don't, uh, I don't pitch David with ideas very often. I sort of let, you know, let the let the uh, the business stuff, you know, boil to the surface, and finally he or someone will say, you know, I, you need to do another ebook. So then I do it. But um, you know, when it comes to you know uh, being a, a printed, you know, a published author in the print world, uh, I really enjoyed that experience. And uh, Peach Pit and New Riders and Pearson, they're an amazing uh, publishing company. I really enjoyed that experience, and and that worked. Living the Dream is a book that I am just so proud of. It feels like my, it feels like a, a legacy piece of my own. So I'm very very proud of it. But it's harder to spread the word. It's you know I have to. You know, if I show up an event or I, you know, you know, have dealing with boxes of books and sending people, you know, shipping thing, it can be like, go it's to the bookstore. Wait, easier to give a coupon code, right? <laughs> it's easier to email it, you know, and and someone will say, well, I went to the bookstore and they just sold out of the one copy they had of yours, and you're like, oh yeah, great, you know. So you know, it, there's pros and cons to it. Um, but again, both have their value. But I was, you know, fortunate enough to to get a book deal so i kind of just felt like it was it was the right opportunity Absolutely. but um yeah they, they both have their place i would i would agree with you you know peach pit i kind of look at peach pit as the if if apple had a publishing arm it would be peach pit you know it's they're they're yeah. that kind of company that caters to that genre of people you know the creatives and the you know, all their stuff is just really well made, and I know when I can tell a Peach Pit book yeah. when I get you can it. See versus, you can tell. Yeah, I can tell. Yeah. It. I know a Peach Pit book when I get it versus you know um, other books. Not that other books aren't good. It's just that they have that personality that that I, I do. I resonate with. And they're really talented, and they've got their fingers on the pulse. So as as hard as uh, print publishing is. Uh, Peach Pit does an extremely good job of it. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Okay, let's let's close this off. I want to be respectful of your time. I know that you have a hockey game to watch. Yep, Canucks versus San Jose. Yeah, So you, I mean, you have, you gotta you gotta watch your team lose. So no. Um, <laughs> so, no. so you, know, you can call me back after the game's over. I will. We'll say, you know, this is San Jose. This is I'll send you a I'll send you a virus. All right. The yeah. Sharks are going to Canada. All right. All right. So if you could leave the, the This Week in Photo listeners with one tip, you know, on this whole publishing world, business, all this stuff, what would it be? And this is from the this, from this standpoint of, hey, I'm a photographer, and I've seen the David Dushamans and the Trey Radcliffe's and all these other guys that are out there, and they have these businesses that are flourishing. I want to start going down that path. How do I, how do, I do that if I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm watching this? What do they do? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it always stands out to me when talking with emerging uh, photographers that um, they want the quick fix. They want the the magic pill. They want that you know. They want that big client tomorrow. They want that you know that big um, aha you know sort of situation to sort of overwhelm their business and sort of fix all their problems. Business. The, they want business Viagra. That's what I call it. Yeah, business. they very much do. <laughs> Uh, and if if it lasts longer than seventy two hours, call a doctor. Exactly. Um, I, I think the reality is is that um, if 
a photographer was to answer this one question, I think they would uh, be able to accomplish a lot more. And then if they were to ask themselves, how can I make people more curious about my creative work? It would go a long way. A lot of people are saying, "Well, I, I I need to spread the word. I need more marketing. I need to, I need you know. I, I want to." Basically, what they end up doing is they end up beating people, the same people, over the head uh, with the same images or with nothing new, or they're talking to the wrong people. The reality is, is that when you elicit, when you make people curious, you generate demand. So it's it's not so much about about push marketing. It's about making people curious and getting people kind of looking at you and who you are, your personality, um, you know, what you can offer them, what your art, why your art is different than someone else's. And curiosity is a big thing. So, you know, whether that's, you know, you're exploring your, your social world, your uh, creative world, you've changed location, you've, you've approached something different, you've, you've, you have to push the creative envelope, you have to push your social envelope, you have to kind of do whatever you have to do to make people curious. And once you're starting that sort of cycle of curious making, I think that you'll find that uh, there'll be more interest in you as a working photographer. Corwin, I think I have the next title for your, your next ebook. Uh-oh. Curiosity Marketing. There it is. Yeah, there you we, go. We've, we've gone through uh, push marketing. We've gone through guerrilla marketing. We've gone through permission marketing with Seth Godin. Now it's time for curiosity marking. Curiosity marking. marking. And yeah. on the cover, uh, maybe we'll be a photographer um, holding their camera while they're naked wearing black socks. There oh, you wait, go. that's no curiosity there. That's not, <laughs> that's not going to work. Okay, that's not going to work. Yeah, no, no. Sorry, that's exposed. Oh, right. Different. That's different. <laughs> curiosity. Yeah, let's stick with curiosity. You okay, know. okay. That's better, folks. Curiosity killed the cat. All right. Cool. All right, dude. Well, thank you. This has been uh, this has been educational. You know, you you have the same effect on me that David Dushman has on me. When I talk to you guys, I leave with a page full of notes, you know, <laughs> and and excited and like, okay, this is that makes sense. I got to do that. I got you know. So this is this is great. Thank you for taking the time tonight to do this. Awesome. Good deal. And thanks for the time. All right, Corbin. Before before I let you go. One last time, where can people go to sort of see your stuff? Maybe check out that ebook that you're working on or that you published, um, all that stuff, or all the ebooks that you published. Yeah, the the best way to get a hold of me is to go to corwinhebert.com, and the best way to um, uh, suck me dry of everything that's good and useful to you as a photographer is to sign up for my tiny letter. So I uh, I produce a tiny letter every few weeks, and uh, anyone that hits reply to my tiny letter with a question or a comment, uh, I reply to. So if uh, if you've got business or marketing questions about your photography business, uh, sign up for my tiny letter uh, right there. It says I don't blog, I deliver. You click I deliver, add your name to my tiny letter, and um, and I will uh, do everything I can to help you. Very cool. Awesome. So basically you're saying free advice if they just go to Basically, yeah. Within that. reason, I think I encourage my tiny letter readers to keep their questions brief and short and keep expectations low on response time. But I do uh, – I, I respond to every email I get through that, and uh, it's a lot of fun. People ask some really good questions and hard questions that are, you know, difficult for them. Uh, but it's really fun to, to dive in and be, you know, whatever I can do to help. Excellent. All right, Corbin. Thank you. Thanks again. I appreciate yeah. this. Thanks, Frederick. All right. Have a good night. Okay, you can learn more about Corin at his site. I think he's at corwinhebert.com. We'll link to it from the uh, the blog post in this episode, or you can go download the Vision Monger one and two books that he mentioned in this in this interview over at craftandvision.com. And of course, we'll embed that interview in the show notes for this episode. 
Okay, before we continue with this week, uh, this uh, the listener Q&A segment, I want to thank our sponsor, Squarespace.com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, and now an online store. Squarespace introduces a new commerce solution that allows you to instantly create a store and start selling products. Squarespace Commerce provides a powerful and flexible e-commerce solution. It's integrated to work with every Squarespace template for allowing sales of both physical and digital goods. For example, you can sell music CDs, MP3s, hardcover books or eBooks, t-shirts, all that stuff. There's a fast merchant account setup so you can accept payments right away, including credit or debit cards. And there's a single interface for order management. You can track orders. You can send email updates to customers. You can print shipping labels, add coupons, and more. And Squarespace Commerce is included with the business plan subscription, which starts at $24 a month when you sign up for a year or $30 a month for their monthly plan. Also, Squarespace works hard to give you and your website users the best mobile experience possible. Squarespace has developed templates with mobile-ready, responsive designs, which means your site automatically restructures itself to look great on any device, smartphone, tablet, or computer. And, of course, this means you get a mobile-ready store with the new e-commerce solution. Squarespace is fast and easy to use. It's got beautiful templates with 100% drag-and-drop functionality, and they give you better social media integration as well. You can automatically import, sync, and publish to and from social media networks with just a few clicks and it'll dynamically refresh your site content raising awareness of your social media circles it's awesome and squarespace is exceptionally well designed they've got an award-winning design team and user experience experts that look at each template to make sure everything's dialed in and ready to go and each template also has hundreds of customization options available to uh, so you can change the grid layout the colors um, in over 300 fonts to choose from it just goes on and on and on it's pretty much everything you need squarespace is an all-in-one platform that integrates all of your website needs domain design development commerce hosting plus to top it all off they've got 24 7 customer support in case you get stuck anywhere so if you'd like a free trial you can head over to squarespace.com slash twip you can sign up for a free account you don't need a credit card you can just try it out start building your website then if you decide to purchase that website just use the offer code twip5 and you'll get 10% off your first purchase on new accounts. And this includes monthly and annual plans. And don't forget about the free domain registrations for annual plan customer subscriptions. That's squarespace.com slash TWIP and use the offer code TWIP5. Squarespace is everything you need to create an exceptional website today. Check them out. Now back to our program. Okay, guys, it's time for some listener Q&A. This is the segment where we answer questions that have been at the top of some of our listeners' minds. Question number one is from Daniel. He's in Denmark, and he writes, I just got a Canon 600D, and I hear all of you pros talking about how you like to use live view. I wear glasses, and I don't think it's that easy to use the viewfinder. I can get my eye close enough to the viewfinder, so 
so or, so too much. I can't get my eye close enough to the viewfinder, so too much light comes in. It's hard to see anything. He says he could take his glasses off. Then he's either blind or <laughs> blinder than a wooden door. His eye or my eyes are just broken because I can't uh, make the viewfinder sharp enough, etc., etc. I know I have the diopter wheel to make it more or less sharp, but I just need a bit more sharpness to make it perfect. Is there anything I can do, or do I just have to get used to using my eyeglasses? Doug, what do you think about this? I don't know the particular camera. Uh, I have a feeling maybe Derek or Martin do. I, well, all of us except for you, Frederick, wear glasses. And I'm going to guess that Martin and Derek, uh, like I do, shoot with the glasses. Um, on my big Nikons, I have no problems at all. Uh, on the small cameras like the OMD and the Sony NEX series, what I've done is taken off the little, I don't know what it's called, but the little piece that's right in front of the electronic viewfinder. And that allows me to get in a little bit closer, uh, enough that I can see through the electronic viewfinder. But um, I, I can't say anything about this particular camera. Okay. Okay. Derek, you have anything to add to that? Well, Martin, didn't you? I mean, I, I was going to talk about additional diopter lenses, but yeah, yeah, go uh, for oh, it. That's Martin. exactly go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, that that was it right there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Moving on. Additional diopter lenses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, but uh, I, Canon, Nikon, I think most of the majors, they, they, they actually produce additional lenses. So you take off the, uh, you know, the IP sets there, and then, you, you know, you buy an IP set has uh, a stronger lens in it. It works with the adapter that's built in, and it just gives you more strength. Mm -hmm. And uh, he should be able to get within the range of his eyesight by doing yeah, that. Yeah, I was I was going to add that the if you go to if you find your camera on the Canon website and hit the supplies and accessories button, there's a whole bunch of them that, towards the bottom of the page. Dioptric lenses uh, they go from minus four to plus two, and then you just make the minute changes that you need to make it exactly right for your eye with mm -hmm. the with the diopter dial. Right, yeah. but then but then when you do that, you have to take your glasses off. Well, you, 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 I mean, I like you, like you said. I mean, I, I don't. I used to wear glasses that had wide sides on them so that I stopped the light coming in from the side at the end of the day. But I, you know, I, I just push it up there. Sure, sometimes yeah. I have to sort of move around a little bit yeah. and make sure that I can see the dial on the side or the bottom. But it's, you know, it's possible. Well, and you, as, as, as Doug, as you pointed out, I'm. I'm and I just realized this. Thanks for pointing out. I'm the only guy that doesn't wear glasses, right? <laughs> so, as as an uninformed non-glasses wearer, it just seems like can can he just put on contact lenses? <laughs> and, <laughs> like, you know what? I hear I they work really well. I, do I don't know. <laughs> I used to do that for photography, but I I just found that you know they, especially when you're doing photography and you maybe don't blink quite a lot as much. You do yeah, they do yeah. dry up a little bit easier, but. Uh, you know, if he's got really bad ass eyesight, and it sounds as though he does, it's it's probably not practical. But yeah. I think with a diopter, uh, a dioptric lens, and a diopter uh, um, adjustment, I think I think he'll be fine. It's yeah. just he just needs to go and buy one of these lenses for the backup. It just you take the eyepiece off, I think, and this becomes like a, an exchange, the new eyepiece for the cam. Uh, you know, the 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 rubber thing that goes around the back of the the viewfinder. Got it. Got it. Cool. All right, let's go into the next question. Um, it is from Mark Markin, and he says, I'm a little confused about sensor size. I shoot a cropped APS-C sensor and have been lusting after full frame 
due to the better quality of pixels and all the other benefits you and the guests have touted for years now. You've all been talking about Micro Four Thirds. <laughs> oh like no, not again! They, like they can replace full frame cameras. Aren't my APS APS-C pixels sort of superior, at least in size and quality, to the Micro Four Thirds pixels? <laughs> Micro Four Thirds is approximately forty percent less the size of an APS sensor. Are they using infinitely superior silicon in the tiny <laughs> one ten like sensors, Doug? Yeah. I want to know this. I didn't yeah. write this, so do tell. No, no, I think I I think that my uh, pixels are better than anybody's pixels, personally. <laughs> now it's down uh, to better pixel quality. Yeah. You know, I there's so much misinformation about this that's out there, and we could spend a whole show, but we're not going to do that. Right. I think you know, Mart, Martin mentioned this earlier. the The biggest difference here, the biggest number one difference, is depth of field. Yeah. And the other issues are when you get these, if you actually have smaller pixels, you're not going to do as well in low light. Um, but that's a matter of, you know, your, 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 your pixel density. That's, you know, you could have a small sensor with that's only, you know, 10 or 12 megapixels. And that might be just as good as a, a larger sensor that has, um, you know, 18 or 24 megapixels. I think, I think this issue is highly overrated except for the depth of field and the low light question. And I, I hope that people don't get too hung up on it. I happen to like the look and the depth of field I get from a large camera, but I'm going to be traveling with a small one. Perfectly happy to do it's so. It's all about trade-offs, right? It's all it Eric, is. Do you have anything to add to this? I mean, what, what do you think? No, I, I think Doug's right on the money with that. It's it, For me, uh, I pull out uh, the full-frame sensor when I need that depth of field or when I need to maybe push that ISO up a little bit higher than I normally would. Or, or going you know, wide. Or shoot yeah. real wide. Yeah, and or going real wide. You know, I've got all these fantastic <laughs> so, lenses for but it. But see, all that, it sounds like when I really need to shoot photography, no, I go, no, 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 no. Like when those, I need depth of field or I need wide or I need this, then why for, not just shoot the other one all the time? No, no. I mean, for my shooting, I'm, that's probably, uh, we're talking 25% of the time. Okay. So, okay. But, you know, I think the real message, and I think Doug was sort of leading up to it, is the idea, and I'm not the right person to talk to about, just settling on one camera because uh, you know you might as well be saying to me you only get one wrench in a toolbox right. and I'm going to mm -hmm. go that ain't going to work for me so I you know the uh, the invasion of the mirrorless to me is what it's doing it's filling a gap between my big full frame sensor and the compacts and uh, it's a gap that I've wanted to fill for a long time but boy don't I'm not going to pick among them at yeah. all it's interesting yeah. because your iPhone filled that gap for a while and it seems like a lot of people are saying. You know, I, I want I, I like the portability and yeah. the instant always with me nature of the iPhone, but I really need to be able to take real pictures. So what can I do to fill yeah. that gap? Right? Yeah, you know, and I mean, there's something to that. Again, you're back to a fixed lens on the uh, on the iPhone, you know. But you know, one thing that I've been really enjoying is I I put a, a Toshiba Flash Air card in my compact camera or my OMD, and then I'm sending those images right to the iPhone or the iPad. And, you know, I basically have the same, all the other goodies that I've always enjoyed with the iPhone. Uh, just a, you know, better image coming in maybe. Love it. I'm, I'm definitely getting your book, by the way. I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's in there, by the way. So, so Martin, <laughs> I would love to have a free flash air card with every copy. That, now no, that's, no, anyone, you now that's an enticement. You. <laughs> that's an enticement. Well, maybe we'll work something out. All right, all right, cool. Martin, uh, looking at this, APS-C 
versus micro four thirds versus full frame and the confusion around all this stuff. Where do you find and how do you manage the world of sensor size in your daily dealings? Well, I I uh, I totally understand where Mark's coming from about the lust for a full frame. I mean, I I've been using full frame since what will it be? The the 1D Mm-hmm. Uh, the 1DS Mark III, I think it was the first yeah. one, the first full frame. Since D3, uh, so, yeah. maybe maybe the maybe the 5D was before 5D was before that. But I I um I've been using full frame for a long time now, and uh, yeah, I think the 1DS was the first. The 5D came out after that, and then uh, so it, there is something magical about full frame, mm-hmm. and with some really wide fast wide aperture fast glass. They, there's something that you can do with those that with a, with a full frame camera that you can't do with even a crop sensor, yeah. um, and that just gets it gets more difficult to do the smaller the sensor. So, I if you want to if if Mark or anyone that's that's debating this even in, amongst themselves wants to go really shallow depth of field, then you you're not really going to do it with a micro four thirds. But there's there's um, they are. I mean, we've all mentioned today they are very close. You can still get some some very nice uh, wide wide aperture lenses for the micro four third system as long as you've got one that that takes interchangeable lenses. <laughs> um, you guys are killing me. <laughs> You're killing me. And and it's the, the, the so I mean for me I I don't own a micro four thirds camera yet, but they're getting more and more enticing. I do see that at, at some point I will own one and it'll. It, I might wait another generation. I might go for the OMD uh, five or whatever it is. But um, I, the thing for me is, is that obviously I, I need to still also be able to shoot, um, track a, a a very, um, what's the, it, the a bird flying around in all all sorts of lo- all sorts of directions, changing speed and all that. I need to be able to track those with six hundred millimeters and. I, at the moment, it's difficult to do with a with a micro four thirds, but I mean there there are people doing it. It's possible uh, if you've got the ability, if you've got the the your range covered in it. You know, you don't say you don't need a six hundred millimeter lens, or you don't need really wide, or and you never really go um, shallow depth of field, really really shallow depth of field. Then they're they're fine. And like you say, I mean, we don't have to own just one system. It's yeah. difficult to buy all of the the lens range in all of them, but I can see me at least initially just getting a micro four thirds camera with a a medium, you know, something equivalent of a twenty four seventy or something like that, and and pro- a lot of the time it's even more. They've got quite good ranges on them, and just making that my travel camera or my my walking around town camera, where I don't necessarily need really shallow depth of field and really long lenses, and. Um, it's it's horses for courses. You, you, if you want to get into, if you want to try them, tr- try it. But just don't try to expect just yet that it will be your main camera. Yeah, right. you re- you're really going to need to buy two systems for a while or an adapter. And um, you know there there are ways to to jump between the systems. Yeah, I want to so throw that, one, Frederick. I want to throw one other no, thing in it. there. Go for it. For, for these people who are you know too hung up about the quality of the pixels though, and the size of the pixels. Um, you really can get off in the weeds with that. Remember that you know some of these fifty thousand dollar broadcast video cameras that are high def are only two megapixels, and their sensors until recently they were only a third of an inch diagonal. I mean they're tiny little sensors. 
and and so it's not it's not a matter of pixel quality. That's not such the image here. Um, that's not such the issue. Sorry, but you know, the, even the new ones, the 4K cameras are still only you know two thirds of an inch diagonal. They're tiny little things. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you guys, you guys have me thinking. I'm still. This was a great question because I'm 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 that guy that's like somewhere in the middle. You know, I'm the DSLR shooter, and I have been for what 20 ish years. And now I'm making the jump to something smaller, but I'm afraid to sacrifice the flexibility that I've become accustomed to on the DSLR and not and miss shots. I think that's the main thing is missing shots, you know, and quality and all that. So I don't know. Maybe I don't get anything. I'll just stay with the Nikon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stick with my D7. I'll stick with my D7000. I'll put a 50 on there and I'll be good to go. You know, how about that? <laughs> Well, you, you know, Frederick, that, that's my stance at the moment. That's, my, that's where I am right now. I'm still sitting on the fence. But yeah. I, I think that there's, you know, it is heavy stuff. If you want to carry around, even if I don't take my, my 600 millimeter with me, if I've got all of the rest of my, my glass with me, my bag weighs about 18 kilograms. And that's a lot of weight to be carting around. Wait, wait, so, what, what, is that, what is that in pounds, Martin? I don't know. I'm like... That, it's, it's like 40, uh, 45 pounds. Yeah, it's oh, about 45 pounds. 40, yeah. But let's remember also, Martin is a little unique. Martin's always shooting on a tripod or almost always on a tripod. Yeah. Uh, he's he's already over a certain threshold of gear. You know, to put a little OMD on a on a big tripod, it, it looks a little funny. You have to admit. Right. Uh, right, right. And you know, so the the extra overhead of carrying the full frame body and glass isn't such a big deal. So it's a very different kind of shooting that you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And if you're if you're going to shoot landscapes um, from a tripod, if you're going to shoot wildlife with long lenses. Then, sure, maybe the little cameras aren't for you. But if yeah. you're going to shoot, if you're going to shoot on the street, handheld, outdoors, the little know, go, cameras. Go, go small. No, have you guys seen that those videos from Zach Arias and and uh, David Hobby when they were just sort of raving and you know all 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 but proposing to the Fuji X100s? I mean, they're they're we'll we'll link to them in the in the notes for this episode. But they were over the moon, and Zach Arias went as, went as far as to say at the beginning of the video that he put online that the DSLR is dead. Yeah, I know. The Fuji X100S. Yeah. yeah. Now, Derek, you're moaning. You know, is I, I am moaning. I am because because I, I think that that causes confusion and problems for people. Right. You know, for for yeah, them for me. at that <laughs> yeah. For them at at that moment to be caught up in that excitement, I mean, I can understand. I you know, I I love gear and I get excited about it too. But you got to remember, if you have an audience, if you have an audience that your excitement and your um, you know proclamations, uh, you know, could could adversely affect other people who have other needs than you at that moment. And and I think that's been a theme of what we've been talking about is that you know these these cameras are tools. And you need to have the right tools for the kind of photography that you want to do. And, uh, you know, people like me, I shoot a wide variety of stuff. I have a wide variety of cameras. People who specialize can get by with maybe just uh, one system. But you got to find the system or the approach that matches the type of photography that you want to do. And, And just be careful of people getting excited about stuff. Yeah, and to be honest... 
I think I can speak for all four of us here today and saying that as much as we may like small format cameras, you would probably have to kill us before we'd give up our full frame oh, yeah. cameras. Oh, I'm yeah. not giving up mine. No Never. way. No. <laughs> no way. But, you know, it's, it's allowed me not to have to keep buying the next model all the time. You know, I have one yeah. dependable one. I love it. And, you know, I can write it out now while I invest in a couple of other. But I'll tell you, types. you know, on that, Doug, you know, I'm, my, my gear shelf back there, there's a D3, there's a D700. And I just recently, relatively speaking, got the D7000. The D700 and the D3 haven't been touched. I mean, I may have touched the D700 once. I'll buy the it D7, from you. The D7000. I'll, I'll, I'll buy your D7000. I sold my D700 and I miss it horribly. The D7000 <laughs> is the one that I grab. It's my go-to camera. So yeah. my, my mindset is, well, if that's my go-to camera, why don't I just get something smaller and compact that won't you know, give me – lower back pain and, and chiropractor visits yeah well you, you know even within the my range of cameras i mean I, like i say i'm not i'm not a, a micro four thirds shooter yet um but even within my cameras i've got the the one ds the mark three that's a bit long in the tooth now i've got the five the 5d mark three and the one dx the one dx is the most expensive camera but it doesn't mean that i reach for it every time i'm going out the one i reach for most of the time is the 5d mark three yeah. Because it's a, it's got more more megapixels, but and it's it's slower frame rate. Uh, there's a lot of things about it that are are a lot less quality than the than the One DX. But I only reach for the One DX when I need a fast frame rate and weatherproofing. And if I don't need those two, I go for the I go for the Five D. Right. And same, the One DS I only ever use now. Yeah. Same Sorry, thing in Nikon. I've got a I have three Nikon's. I have a D three S, a D eight hundred E, and a D six hundred. If I'm running out the door, I take the 600. It's the cheapest camera. It's the one I use the most. Yep. If I have to shoot action, I take the D3S. If I'm going, if I'm going to use a tripod, I take the 800E. Yep. See, all this, this is like alphabet soup. You know, I want to say thank you guys because you've been absolutely no help in my <laughs> Rent, rent. In fact, you've added complexity to my decision-making process for this, you know. You should have just invited. Zach on today, Frederick. You yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what I need to do? I need to invite Zach Arias and David Hobby on to discuss, and, and a Fuji and an Olympus guy. You know, and we could just hash it all out, you know, and figure out what the best camera is. Mm-hmm. And then I'm sure I'll be even more confused. You know, so. All right, guys, uh, before we close this off, let's just quickly run through the picks of the week. Uh, remember, the picks of the week segment, um, this is where you guys can pick anything to recommend to our listeners as long as it's related to photography in some kind of way. Martin, what's your pick of the week? My pick of the week, um, I'm going to show it at the same time, but it's the really – it's going to be very difficult to see. It's the really right stuff um, iPhone 5 audio definitely can't um, see it. Okay. It's uh, – so – what what it is? It's basically a frame that goes around the outside of the phone, and yeah. um, it's it's really right stuff. So it it's you know great quality. Now it's it's as far as iPhone um, iPhone cases go. I'm going to just find the price. It's like a hundred and thirty dollars. Oh. So so wait. <laughs> It, did you just say 130? Well, it, it's really right stuff. It's, it's yeah. It's the so the, here's the thing. It comes with no, it doesn't. It doesn't come with it. You can buy for an extra X amount of money um, an adapter, an adapter that basically allows you to mount the phone to an a, a, a tripod adapter. So you might be thinking, after all of this, why I after all of the conversation today, why I would want to mount an iPhone 
on a on a tripod. Yeah. The, the single reason, is, there's two reasons. One is they're actually not bad for taking um, the the second, you know, like as a second video camera. They'll they'll shoot reasonable video. Plus, if you if you turn it up this way, you can put literally this this clamp goes on any straight edge. It won't go on the corners, but it'll go on any straight edge of the of the the case. And you so you can mount it on a tripod vertically and use the the panor- you know do panoramas. You know those vertical panoramas that you can do with this mm-hmm. handheld really easily. You can actually just mount it um, with the the clamp close to the close to the camera and do those. Uh, panoramas really, really well with this. So it's uh, it's, it's actually, a nice little. That's pretty cool. It's expensive though. Jeez. It is expensive. It's it's a lot of money. But I uh, I was actually I was I bought a B eight a BH what was it BH forty BH forty the the smaller ball head for my Africa trip because I wanted to get uh, again we're talking yeah. slightly slightly smaller. I mean I love the BH fifty five and it's my main my main ball head. But for Africa we've got a lot of weight. Um, limitations so or restrictions so i was going to buy that and i thought you know what i might as well just throw it in and it's uh it's it's a nice little addition it's a very quality high quality case it's expensive if you want the clamp it it fits basically the clamp allows you to put it into the the dovetail um really right stuff or off arca swiss dovetail um quick release sort of plate system so and and the most important thing is you're happy with that right now right absolutely it's uh you know, it's just it's just it doesn't provide a lot of protection. The back of the of the the phone is is open, but you know, if it fell, it's gonna it's gonna hit one of the corners on this. But right. I'm not sure if I'd be more annoyed with denting my $130 <laughs> really right stuff right. case than I would the phone. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a nice bit of equipment. Everything that really right stuff right up, makes is right just up so until, sexy. Right up until Apple changes the case, the the iPhone design on you. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So the good thing is, is that they came out with this relatively quickly after the after the five. And yeah. I ju- I don't normally switch phones for a while. And I'm hoping that the iPhone seven or whatever it will be will be a very similar size to the five. Hey, I'm still on the four S, so I'm uh, yeah. I'm waiting. Thank you, AT and T, for you know being so inflexible with your upgrades. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, Mark. Der- Derek, what is your pick of the week? Uh, I'm going more expensive than I normally go, uh, but uh, I've been testing the new Sigma art lens, the 35mm f1.4 art lens, and uh, it's both in uh, for Nikon and Canon. I've been shooting the Canon version on uh, the 5D Mark II, and I just have to say I just really like this prime lens. It's on, and especially on a full-frame sensor, here we are again, right? Yeah. But especially on a full-frame sensor, uh, it's one of those things where I lock it at f4, and I, I don't think I ever shoot at anything else uh, with it. But it, it, it does this thing that I like, which is what I call it's, um, it's sharp soft. And uh, so it's sharp Wait, where sharp you're focusing... Soft. It's sharp soft, so it's uh, sharp where uh, you know where you want it to be, and then uh, even for a 35 mm fairly wide angle lens, it falls off very nicely. It's a beautiful lens, mechanically uh, solid. It's just it just feels good, and the thing that I really like about it, it looks like it's designed for the full frame cameras. You put it on there and you just go, wow, you know, that's that's gorgeous. So it's 899 bucks. But uh, it is a quality prime, and, and I'm really happy to see Sigma, you know, doing uh, doing this, you know, kind of going after saying, hey, you know, we can we can play with the big boys here. 
Yeah. Well, one one question before we leave you on this. Um, we did a show. I think maybe it was some at some point last year, maybe the year before, where we were talking about manufacturer lenses, Nikon, mm-hmm. Canon versus mm-hmm. the third party lenses, right. like Sigma, Tamron, etc. Clearly, you're in the boat of it's okay to use third party lenses, whereas the borrow lenses guys were like, basically, I think it was Josh Norm we had on the show, but he was saying that the return rate or the the time that they had to recycle the the third party lenses was higher than w- with the manufacturer lenses. Well, the here's the thing, and by the way, he he would love this lens if he hasn't already published on it, which I think he has. It's the thing that you have to look at with the third party lenses is that they have different categories. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, Sigma is doing the art line now, the contemporary line, and then they have a very consumery line. So, on the on the ones that are the more consumery stuff, he's absolutely right. They just don't hold up mechanically. Yeah. But what they're doing now, and I think what all of them are doing, is that they're also creating a premium line, and uh, and these these will hold up with any manufacturer lens. Okay, so if you're going to go with a third-party lens like this, get get the premium. Get the good stuff. Get the good stuff. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Do your homework. Do your homework. Don't cheap out on it. Yeah, and that's what we always say, right? Yeah. I mean, make sure that you get the, uh, you know, if you're going to invest, invest in lenses and tripods, right? Because so, yeah, exactly. those things aren't going to change that often. Cool. All right. Thanks, Derek. And um, Doug K, what's your pick of the week? Uh, I just changed mine based uh, based upon this show. And I'm going with Digimark for images. Uh, this is actually <laughs> this was one of my one of my picks. Maybe gosh, almost two years ago on the show. But oh, you beat me to it, or I beat oh, you to it. Look at that! Oh, somebody uh, yeah, both have it up. And uh, well, I'll take mine down. Um, and it, uh, people should check it out. Ninety nine dollars a year for this service, which does not include the search, and I wouldn't bother with the search, as Martin said. But if you do want to check out how you can digitally watermark your images. Um, this is, I think, the only way to go, and, and the, the software that generates Digimarks, uh, not generate, yeah, generates and reads them is built into Photoshop. In fact, if you go to, to my page on Google+, and download any image from Google+, open it in Photoshop, go to the filter menu, you'll be able to read the, uh, the watermark in the Digimark. In fact, I tried something just the other day, which is I tried to take one of my images and use a screen grab to see what happened with that, and I can still read the Digimark image, the Digimark uh, watermark in there. So even check it out. You, even if you grabbed a portion of it, you can still see it. Well, you have to get enough of it. You know, obviously, yeah, it, you get two two pixels isn't going to be enough. If I remember rightly, though, it is quite. I mean, in to be to on on their you know to their uh, whatever you call it, I can't even speak. Um, you know, they <laughs> they do they do have. Yeah, the ability to get that information out of a very small part of the image. It's like you say, not two pixels, but you, you can crop it quite aggressively and still get their watermarks out of the image. Nice. Very cool. All right. Uh, well, my pick of the week before we close the show off, and let me bring that up, is this contest that we just launched. Here it is for you guys that are watching this in the Hangout. It's our Natural Landscapes Photo Contest. It goes until May 31st. 2013. The grand prize of this thing is a 20 by 24 eye acrylic heirloom print and the chance to come on and sit 
just like this, as a co-host on TWIP, to discuss your photo or defend your photo, as it, <laughs> as it may oh, be. Oh, we're not, we wouldn't to, do that. To receive abuse. Yeah, yeah watch us put you through the gauntlet. Um, but oh, we're giving no. away two of those. It's going to be a grand jury prize, and which is what I'm going to pick, and also a people's choice prize that the crowd will pick. So um, two successive or two weeks of TWIP will have a crowd favorite, you know, either a Frederick favorite and a crowd favorite on here. So definitely so check Fre- that out. Frederick, well, what's yeah. the, is it, the, is the image actually of the winning image? Does yes. the person, yeah, I, I see. Yes. That's cool. The winning nice. image will be this giant 20 by 24 eye acrylic heirloom print. Very um, nice. Yeah. And then that image will, will share in this hangout and we'll talk about it and, you know, so it's all good. It'll be a, it'll be a magical moment. So, so a, a word of warning to the entrance, don't crop down to like a, a two pixel image is <laughs> you know some some people some people crop heavily with landscapes less likely but it, it means if you're gonna if you do win you want enough pixels to be able to print it so yes. don't crop too much absolutely yeah yeah these eye acrylics need need a lot of pixels they're pixel hungry okay and then the uh, the other piece of this is uh, the landscape and travel photography tutorial. Um, that's from our friend Trey Ratcliffe over there. It's 99 bucks over on StuckInCustoms.com. Um, but he's, I think he's going to knock 20% off of that with the TWIP photo um, code. So definitely check that out, especially if you are wondering how to get great landscapes in your shot. <laughs> Just go over there, grab that, and then grab your Micro Four Thirds camera and run out, <laughs> run out and get some great shots. So... Yeah, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's all good. Those are my two picks of the week, and I think that's it. You guys have anything else to add before I close the show off? No, you did good. I did good, huh? <laughs> I kind of know what I'm doing now after three, all right. three five all episodes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Martin, Bailey, let's close this off. Where can people go to connect with you and keep up with the stuff that's going on in your world? I, everything is linked at martinbaileyphotography.com. Uh, or you can you can just uh, catch me on Google Google Plus. I'm pretty active on Google Plus at the moment. We just started a, our own community as well. It's the, okay. the spammers have won. I'm closing. I'm gradually closing down my forum um, because we just can't keep the spammers out. Uh, You're so. fo- remember remember we had the Twip forum going, and I had to shut it down because of that they're, very same reason. Yeah, they're just you know they they're everywhere. Um, Relentless. Long life. Raunchy porn spam in the Twip yeah. forums. I could not yeah. keep up with it, so I shut <laughs> well, it down. Right now, I mean, we've actually turned off regis- new registrations, and it's gradually turning into a ghost town. So it's mm-hmm. it's it's no longer viable. So we're we're now we've got a couple of hundred people uh, in the in the Google Plus community. We're we're going to grow that instead. So catch me over there if you're if you'd prefer. Welcome. That's exactly what we did. So yeah, yeah. it's been working great. I love Google Plus for this. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Martin. Mr. Doug K. Where can people go to connect with you? Uh, the portfolio is on DougK.com, and that has links to almost everywhere else. But like Martin, I'm on Google Plus almost all the time. Awesome. Cool. Thank you, and thanks for joining. Mm-hmm. And finally, last but not least, Mr. Derek Story, the digital story. Exactly. <laughs> you, you did it. You did my plug Every time for I say me. your name, I want to yeah. say the digital yeah. story. You yeah. should change your name to the digital story. Every, everything runs through that site, thedigitalstory.com, and uh, including including the link to uh, get the new book, Frederick. Get the new I, book. And, and I'm going to work on that Toshiba flashcards. Anyway, I think no, 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 you no, 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 no. have that. Yeah, Wait, yeah, I owe yeah. you a lunch. 
I yeah, owe yeah, you yeah. lunch. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I owe you yeah, yeah. lunch. And yeah. at that lunch, you should bring this book with you. <laughs> I, I will do that. And uh, and you know, um, we'll we'll get that set up because I got other things I want to talk to you about too. Excellent. So, Excellent. Thanks cool. for having me on the show. But thedigitalstory.com, everything runs through there. Excellent. Thanks, Derek. All right. Uh, and listeners, if you want to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can check us out, of course, at thisweekinphoto.com. Also, like Martin was saying, join our Google Plus community and consider submitting an image to uh, the Critique of the Week. So we're going to kick off the re-initialize the Critique of the Week as a separate hangout thing in a couple of weeks so be sure you put your images in there so we have a pool to pull from thank you and also join martin bailey's google plus community and help get that going so that's uh you know the more the merrier in the google plus world and finally if you're looking for me you can find me at frederickvan.com or mediabytes.com and thank you to all the folks so this week i sent out two emails one from mediabytes actually three one from mediabytes one from Frederick Van and one from This Week in Photo, just to make sure that the people that are on those lists want to stay on those lists. So thank you to all the folks that agreed to stay on my email list. So I appreciate that. And you'll be getting some interesting things in the, in the coming weeks. So uh, keep an eye out for that. And finally, that's it. It's time to take that lens cap off. <laughs> Weekend Photo is a PixelCore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.